0: you're listening to the What's the Scenario podcast, I'm Ayaz Qureshi. Music and Islam. It's a complicated dynamic. When it's a discussion of whether music is halal, permissible, or haram, forbidden, the discussion can be downright divisive. But what about music, specifically hip-hop, as a means of discovering Islam? What if one of the biggest mainstream Muslim hip-hop artists discovered Islam through a chance encounter with another artist? What if one of the most prolific Muslim scholars in the country discovered Islam at a concert? Werner then sits down with hip-hop artist Brother Ali and religious scholar Osama Cannon about all this and more on this episode of the What's the Scenario podcast. I asked Homer to tell me a little bit about the guests and about this episode. So, Homer, who did we have
1: on? My brother Ali, a big-time hip-hop artist, one of my favorites actually, and C.D. And Osama Cannon, who is head of the Talib Collective in California. So why did you bring them on? I brought them both on because I wanted them to share their stories of how they got into Islam.
0: When you and I met Osama Cannon back in May, I was in the back of the car and you and Osama Cannon had probably one of the most real conversations about music in Islam. Tell our
1: audience a little bit about that. Well, I'm a huge hip-hop fan. Um, It's one of the reasons why I believe my religiosity has gotten a little bit stronger, because I felt more in tune with my religion through hip-hop. That's to be very frank. And when I was listening to music, I happened to pop on a Tribe Called Quest CD, and Osama Cannon, who was sitting in the car with us, is a big fan. And we just got to talking, and we spoke first about Tribe Called Quest and the recent death of a fife dog. And we, that conversation just got into a huge conversation about how he got into Islam through a, a Tribal Quest concert. And he met uh, Q Tip backstage, and just that overwhelming experience was one of the main cogs that got him into Islam. And that's what was so fascinating about that conversation it's just that he was just a normal guy who goes to a concert, and it becomes a huge life changing thing for him. There you have it, folks. So please enjoy Orna
0: with Brother Ali and Osama Cannon. Here we go, yo.
1: So uh, Osama and I met in May, and uh, we were talking hip-hop. And I was actually quite shocked because when I brought up your name, Brother Ali, um, by the artist I listened to, he went on. And he was like, oh, I know him. He wrote a song about me. And it just got me, like, shocked because I was like, oh, man, I didn't know that you knew hip-hop artists like that. So my question first is how did you guys meet?
2: I think my first time that I recall meeting CD Osama was in Chicago. Uh he was the moderator of a panel that Tat had put together. Uh, I'm sorry, that uh Iman had put together. So I had have been aware of him for years, but uh our first time the first time that I recall meeting was was then. I think that's right
1: and cuz there's a very famous song on your album called Uncle Usi taught me and that Osama made sure that I knew that was about him and so like how did that song cuz i i know it's about like your trip to iran but can you guys kind of ex- elaborate on the song in particular for our audience who don't necessarily know what it means yeah you totally Totally, totally exposing the fact that I bragged about him writing a song about me. Um,
3: which, you know, there, there's not... I don't have very much to brag about, but I, I would brag about that.
2: Um, but that's not actually the song I was referring to. But yeah, did go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that... Um, basically, I had an experience uh, just with some things in the music industry that really soured me to the, the uh, reality of... Um, Same and success, and how how um, some of the factors that that bring those things about um, can feel like they're not always connected to uh, truth and uh, creativity and things like that. So I mean, just it's an age-old tale, but the idea of like the how you know virtuous the music industry is not, you know, was really tugging on me at, at one point to the point where I wasn't sure that I wanted to make music. And at the same time, uh, the years of work that I had put into community organizing and political activism had kind of left me feeling empty as well. Um, and that was the time that City of Osama, that's, that's the time that I think we really became close. Um, I went to the Bay Area to go to uh, Zaytuna's summer Arabic program. Um, and Sidi of Osama the was there at the airport greeting me, and uh pick me up and it was actually my son came with me and it was his birthday and of course they threw him a birthday party and made <laughs> us feel at home. 100%. And then and then that's really when we became dear friends and I uh, started going to the training at Tet Leaf and became part of the community at Tet Leaf. Uh specifically the programs that they have to train people who are community minded and want to become professional lovers, professional servants, um and professional Um, you know, really more astute at really the mechanics and science of creating situations that allow hearts to to connect. Um, And this really opened everything up for me. It really turned a new page and just opened up a whole new world for me that uh, really gave me a lot of hope for community, hope for myself personally, Mm -hmm. hope for community. And then also, you know, when it was time to start creating music again, Gave me literally the space to do that. So like some of the songs, it's difficult to say that any one song on that album is inspired by or about City of Summer and, and the community space that he's uh, helped to curate. But really all of the, the entire album, uh, really is influenced by that. There's another song on there that we, we, um, you know, the, the own light, what hearts are for song that I actually wrote on a tight leaf retreat. Uh, at the Sufi Center in Northern California, we had a day of silence. And I had been really stuck on that song. I hadn't been able to figure out how to make it uh, land right. And so during that day of silence, I actually wrote that song in my head during that time. So, you know, not only gave me physical space to, to just go and just be a dude and just be a person and have these experiences, but so, inspired me to overflow with you know, what would I even want to say to the world? Um, and so our friendship, but then also his work and the, the that he and the team that Talith has put in place really gave me the, the space and inspiration to do that. To do that.
3: You know, I think it's really important to highlight the fact that um, when uh, people that are doing community, and particularly these people who are kind of inclined towards studying and teaching uh, sacred sciences develop relationships with cultural creators and people who are, who are ambassadors, people who are doing the work of, of actually being with the people in the broader, uh, meaning of what, what, what we, what we mean when we say the people. There's a really beautiful kind of symbiosis and you know, bi-directional, multi-directional influence that takes place. And I say that to say that I'm grateful for whatever benefit Ted Lee has brought Brother Ali, um, in his path but we are equally, if not more, indebted to him for his inspiration and the beauty of his art and the beauty of him as a person. And I think that, you know, I'm not alone in feeling that way, and I'm definitely not exaggerating. Real quick, I don't even know if I ever told you this, i that. Uncle Rafi Peterson, who's a very uh, critical and crucial and beloved person in my life, he taught me the saying, you can't teach what you don't know, you can't leave where you don't go and you can't leave where you don't. So, so I, you know, I learned it from Uncle Raffi, and then, it's, you know, I'm honored obviously to have, have, have it attributed to me. Uh, but I just want to name the fact that I think it's so beautiful that a brother who's a legend in the South side of Chicago taught me that, uh, and I didn't know I was the first person that you, that you heard that from if I was the first person you
1: heard that from. So, to elaborate on your actual album, which is "All the Beauty in This Whole Life," first off, like, where did that title come from? Because the album is basically an autobiography, and if you do listen to the entire album, it's like you already know who you are. So I was just wondering specifically from that title: is it is it is that the intention of the title?
2: Well, it really is. You know, the the whole creation of the album came about from. You know, Sidi Osama welcoming me to the Bay Area and to the community of Muslims there. Um, some of whom I already knew, like I named my son after Imam Fahim Shuraib. Um, so I was familiar with Imam Muawiyah Muhammad's community and Imam Fahim Shuraib is, in my mind, he is, uh, I would say among the elite students of Imam Muawiyah Muhammad, Allah have mercy on him, who really was able to contribute a lot to Imam Muhammad's teaching and his legacy because of the fact that he studies not only the Islamic tradition, but uh, sciences like, you know, modern psychology and sociology and language, and is able to really put a lot of, like, scholarly context around what Imam Muhammad taught. And so he was always, you know, one of my favorite uh, teachers in that tradition. And so we had a relationship with him and Nestor and in the, in Oakland. Um, but in terms of the broader community, not only in, in the Bay Area, but just in the Muslim world, like, I, you know, coming from Imam Muhammad's community, my experience in the 90s is that we were pretty isolated and we weren't really connected to the greater, the broader Islamic community and the classical tradition of Islam. And a lot of times the experiences that I had in those circles and in those communities just wasn't very welcoming. I I didn't have any way to really see myself in that that context. It didn't really feel like they had much to offer me, and I certainly didn't feel like, you know, they were very interested in whatever I might offer them. And I think a lot of of folks in our community felt that way and and continue to feel that way. And so Osama was really a great ambassador for the broader Islamic community, Muslim community, and really the tradition because of the fact that he's so, mashallah, well-versed in it, but also culturally comes from the same background as us, and then also, you know, was is really um connected to and has a great deep appreciation for Imam Muhammad, his contribution, his work, um, and that of his community. And it's not just lip service. You know, many people know that the largest um, modern conversion, mass conversion to Al Islam was at the hand of Imam Muhammad. Um, you know, a lot of people know that he's the one that directed Malcolm to study tr- traditional Islam that led, uh, Muhammad Ali to traditional Islam. You know, a lot of people pay lip service to that. But when I was with Sidi Osama, I, I knew that it was really real. And so he kind of opened that door to me. And I know you asked about the name of the record, but, you know, that led to me connecting with Dr. Omar Farouk Abdullah, um, Allah preserve him, one of the great, masters of the Islamic tradition, you know, saintly figures that really embodies it and teaches it in, in the most beautiful ways, uh, brought us to a retreat in Spain where he talked about beauty being the splendor of truth, and uh, the fact that beauty and truth are connected, and truth had always been a core theme of my work. Um, and he talked about the connection between beauty and truth, That beauty is the outward manifestation of truth. Uh, virtue is inner beauty and truth is outer beauty, and the two are absolutely connected. You can't have one without the other. Uh, so that got me on the idea of like, I'm gonna, all I wanna, I'm gonna talk about beauty in this next album. And then Amir Suleiman, uh, who I believe to be the greatest living poet, has a poem, an epic poem about the Prophet Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the, one of the refrains in that poem is, I know no beauty in this entire life except for that it's reflecting your light. And I had really blessed to be sitting with Sidi Usama and uh, his father-in-law, Sidi Muli Hassan, who's a descendant of the Prophet, when Amir recited uh, parts of this poem for him as he was working on it. And that was really really a transformational, blessed experience for me. And as that was happening, that's kind of when I got the idea that you know, this is the really the beautiful... Also, all the beauty in this whole life really is the the love of God for the Prophet, from this I
1: Brother Osama, we already know that hip-hop is very important to Brother Ali, but not a lot of people realize that hip-hop played such an important role in your life. So let's talk about its influence it had and how it kind of brought you closer in this path uh, that you've taken.
3: Again, I don't think I'm alone or unique or special in that regard. I mean, a good number... If not the majority of American Muslims who I know who've converted to Islam had some intersection with hip hop on their way to, to Al-Assam as, as their spiritual home. And part of that is a product of the time that I grew up in. Um, part of it is a product of the family that I come from. My brother, you know, has been into music and producing music since I was a kid. And I come from a very musically inclined family. My late uncle Brian Cannon was, a, you know, was a, a, a pianist and mo- a lot of people my, my family um, are musicians or at least musically inspired if not really profound appreciators of music so um, yeah I mean hip hop is how I came to Islam as a spiritual path um, that's how I got exposed to Islam my older brother was the direct influence uh, the first person who introduced me to Al-Islam uh, that came first uh you know, through the nation, and then and he heard about the nation, like so many of us who first hear about the nation of Assam, uh, from Chuck B, the, you know, the the, the, the the famous and very well-known uh, pioneer, and, and really just, uh, I don't even know how to describe the monumental reality that is Chuck B, you know, God bless him and, and, and increase him. So yeah, that's how we came to Assam, and yeah, and I think it's also important to note that like many people who say I came to something hip hop may then almost talk about it like, yeah, and then I made Toba and and then, you know, hip hop was kind of how I got here. But then, you know, I, then I was guided. Um, that hasn't been my reality. You know, I, I continue to, uh, in a hopefully, uh, um, nuanced and hopefully sophisticated way, listen to music that actually was inspiring and is, uh, uh, consistent with the things that I believe, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, hip-hop is a big part of who I am, who we are, and how we got it.
1: Because it's so interesting, because I think I told you in that very, very auspicious car ride that hip-hop actually got me closer to Islam, even though I was born Muslim. Because when I was in high school, I was, I mean, I went to Sunday school, and I went to the mosque a lot, and I wasn't really connected with it just because it just felt like lectures coming at me. But when I was listening to music, particularly like Lupe Fiasco, and that kind of led me to a Tribe Called Quest, and they're both—you know—both of them are very famous Muslim artists. It kind of was interesting because it led me to a reality that these guys are Americans; they have American voices, and they're kind of saying the same stuff that I was lo- uh, taught in mosque, but they were applying it into real-world situations, especially particularly in Lupe's like first album. <laughs> where I listened to like Hurt Me Soul when he was just bringing up all those topics in mind. And he was just kind of like kind of seeing it through a lens that was kind of like Islamic. And even when he was talking about like the pro-Muslim type of stuff that was going on, even though it wasn't specifically like he was brought up like, well, you should look at the other side on his track, American terrorists, like where Muslims are getting bombed and they have, but they're normal people as well. So that kind of got me closer. And I read about Brother Ali that you went to a KRS-One concert which he, which you also stated in your album, that he took you on stage, and then you talked, and he, t- he told you to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. So in a way, you also got in uh, Islam through hip hop, even though it was an artist that kind of led you to that autobiography that captured your soul into the religion.
2: Yeah, it was really directly related to him. So that was actually was a was a lecture tour that KRS One did in 1990. He did a uh, tour and a circuit of colleges and universities starting at harvard um dr cornell west was instrumental in bringing him to harvard uh to speak while dr west was there and that led to him doing a, an entire tour that if you listen to the album that came out in 91 um called edutainment education and entertainment those le- the clips from those lectures are actually on that album and so when he came through East Lansing, Michigan, where I was living at the time and where Malcolm also did when he was young, Allah have mercy on Malcolm. You know, Karen's talked a lot about him in that lecture. And, you know, hip hop just played a really huge role in amplifying the the story of Malcolm Uh, for our generation. I mean, hip hop really, really made sure that we all were very well aware that Malcolm is the seminal figure. in in, in terms of our liberation uh, culturally and spiritually and and intellectually and economically, you know, that Malcolm ties all those things together for us. Malcolm was a, you know, a cultural icon as well as being a spiritual religious figure as well as being a a liberation figure, and that's really what hip-hop represents for us. And I I also have to say that Minister Farrakhan Continues. He definitely did at that time. Minister Farrakhan's always been like the Pope of hip hop. I would say that, that, uh, Malcolm is the prophet of hip hop and Malcolm or, and Minister Farrakhan is its official minister. Um, and he continues to play that role and, and, and in a really beautiful way. And all of the artists that, that we listen to that all of us of our generation, you know, that grew up in the eighties and early nineties, like we listen to those artists that you know, the most culturally advanced, the most artistically advanced were really overtly influenced by Islam. And so if you look at, like, this resurgence of, like, appreciation for NWA, I mean, everybody knows that Ice Cube yeah. was the lyrical genius and powerhouse. And, you know, Ice Cube went and was a, you know, really avid supporter of the nation. And also was a, he actually uh, took his shahada with Imam Jamil Jamila amin in Atlanta. So, I mean, Ice Cube on the West Coast and then on the East Coast is really endless. So everybody from Rakim to Big Daddy Kane to, you know, Public Enemy, like Sidi Osama mentioned, to Brand Nubian. And then when I actually started to perform professionally, these are the people that embraced me, endorsed me, and took me on tour and really taught me and continue to teach me. So brand new being in Rakim and Ghostface of the Wu-Tang Clan, these were all the first people to bring me on tour and to really introduce me to the hip-hop world. And then Chuck D also is a mentor. So, you know, it really is, this is a community-lived reality. And that community has a lot of continuity. So, you know, Public Enemy, Chuck D, for example, and, and, you know, Ghostface. And, you know, these people's parents' generation remember Malcolm as somebody who was in Harlem. You could go hear him speak, and you could go hear him preach, and you could see him, you know, buying coffee, and you could see Malcolm. You would run into Malcolm. So, you know, these are these kind of multi-generational ties that we have that really make this a living tradition that we're a part of. And and the uh, inspiration for Islam is uh, absolutely a very centered um, element of
1: that. A lot of Muslims in particular think that music and Islam are incompatible. But we've kind of shown that hip-hop can bring you closer to it. So what is it like to toe the line between an influential Muslim for which music influences their spirituality?
3: I mean, I think that you know, there's two, there's two, uh, there's two ways in which people may object to hip-hop as Muslims. One can be from the perspective of Islam as a spiritual tradition, and the legal tradition in which there are strong and valid opinions about the impermissibility of, of musical instruments, for example, and I think it would be wrong for us, as people who obviously follow a different opinion, to kind of uh, to disregard that or to or to assume that it's necessarily coming from some bad place. I mean, like there are people who follow that opinion. But the nature of the difference of opinion in the song, if it's a valid difference of opinion, is that a person has the right to follow the opinion that they agree with and they find to be, uh, more sound. So that's one. I mean, like, there's, there's difference of opinion. A lot of what is out there, and a lot of what is often referred to as hip hop, uh, which I or other people may not necessarily, uh, agree with that reference, there are things in it that are impermissible or are compromising more of the from the perspective of Islam as a as a legal tradition. But I think the other part that's important to name um, is that there are some people, Muslims, who may object to this, uh, hip-hop, not on the basis of it being a question of Islamic law, but just from a place of disregard, it's not disdain, it's not hate for a black culture. And the fact that hip-hop's the kind of genesis and, and a lot of it, even uh, itself today, are, are part of an expression of beautiful, authentic Black rage and love and experience and expression. I think many people would be like, oh, hip-hop will write it out just because, you know, that's a Black thing, and that's not really uh, what they're into. Um, and as far as that, that goes, I mean, that's obviously a can of worms. But you may find people who would, you know, accept one kind of music and say well, it's okay because it's positive, but would then write off all from hip hop and, and, and what have you, uh, not on the basis of the quality. I don't know if that makes any sense.
2: I'm doing
1: that. I think it made a lot of sense, to be honest with you. Um, so what about you, Brother Ali? What, what, where do you toe the line?
2: Well, it's not much of a line for me. Like, I was really um fortunate to be raised in the community of Imam Wahidim Muhammad. Allah had mercy on him. And, you know, he was really clear. He had a very clear vision, um, even as a young boy in the nation of Islam, about what the West is in terms of uh, the way that he understood America, the West, the New World, in the plan of Allah. Like, he always believed that this was a shared freedom space that uh, Muslims always had a hand in, that, you know, people from the African diaspora were instrumental in building from day one. And so he was never, and therefore we were never funny about America in terms of, like, should we be here, should we embrace it, should we... You know, when he became the leader of the Nation of Islam and then made that really pivotal change to Islamic orthodoxy, he really embraced uh, something and and demonstrated something that was both, you know, really authentically American, and it was also authentically black, and it was also authentically Muslim in one, you know, expression that was super dope. So, for example, like, you know, he started with symbolic things, like he put, he had a flag, he changed the Nation of Islam flag from something that really resembled the Turkish flag to this flag that's a red background and it look, it's a golden green Quran with the pages up almost looking like the Quran is flying. And he said, this is the Muslim American flag. And then he also put the American flag, like stars and bars, mm-hmm. or not stars and bars, but stars and stripes. <laughs> they're, they're different. Stars and stripes on the on the other side, you know, and they were both at the top of the paper. Um, they were constantly highlighting uh members of the Muslim American community that were also prominent in uh local government. Keith Ellison is from our community. Um and I mean you would flip through the Muslim journal newspaper and see, you know, so and so is a you know, a colonel from our community and he's a colonel in the Marines or in the army or something like this. So you know, he really created this opportunity for us to really be a Muslim community, an American community, a black community, all in one. And when we would talk about music, um, you know, he really was, was talking a lot more about what's the spirit behind this music? What's the greater good in this music? Um, you know, he talked to us a lot about the fact that John Coltrane, at some point, you know, had this this opening with God and then said that my playing from this day forward is all going to be a prayer. And, uh, so he said, I remember specifically, he told us if, if Coltrane, he said, if train can blow sacks for Allah, then you can spit bars for Allah. You can make beats for Allah. You can DJ for Allah. Uh, you know, and, uh, but he really was insistent that we have a, a, a good intention behind the music and that the way we present it, Was really good, you know. So he was a lot more concerned about just making it dope. Like, don't bring me something that's not dope and then say that this is Muslim music. Because it's not. (laughs) Islam is about a sign. It's about, yes, we submit to the outward law. We do it with the right beliefs and the right intention, but then it has to be dope. And if it's not, then when I did, I remember specifically like him talking about rap music that was just whack. (laughs) He was like, some of y'all ain't got no business rapping outside your shower. This is a you know, this is a man in his sixties. But because of the like cultural continuity in the black experience, like he knew good hip hop from bad hip hop. You know, he had a really beautiful way of um, you know, breaking down what, what we could get in a in a chapter from Imam Ghazali about the permissibility or impermissibility of music and just really putting it in common terms that we can understand. So he basically he told he talked to me a lot about the words I used. For a long time, I use a lot of, like, um, what would be considered foul language in my music. And he would say the words you're using are smaller than the ideas you're expressing. Like you got the, you got the great ideas and you're using just these, like, tiny, these words are just don't match the, what you're talking about. But he never chastised me or anything like that. And, you know, he always would say, you know, when you're in your Islamic construct, spirit and posture and constitution and when you're not. And you don't need any jurist to be there to tell you that you, as the artist, you know when you're giving people the best and when you're when you're cheating them.
1: That's very true. Because if you, if I, as I just think about it, I can't really name a Muslim rapper or artist that's bad. To be honest with you, uh, that that's a very true statement. Um, this might be the most difficult question of the entire uh, podcast, and this is our final question. Uh, it's for both of you, and it's uh, who are your top five favorite hip hop artists. And I'll start with the hip hop artist himself, Brother Ali.
2: Hmm. So I, I could I could change it real quick because of the conversation we're having and just name all the Muslims, but um, you can do that. That's
1: fine. Remixing no, is no, fine, no, but I'm not going to do that.
2: Um, <laughs> and all these people are. I mean, you, there's not a there's not a great hip hop artist that's not influenced by Islam. Yeah. But I mean, I think if we're talking objectively, I think you have to say that Jay Z is the Michael Jordan of rap. I think that Rakim should be near the top of that list. I think Yasin they should be near the top of that list. I think Ice Cube should be near the top of that list. Um, I'm, I would lean towards saying Lauryn Hill. Uh, it's difficult when, when your output is really only about three records. But even with those three records, she made such a huge impact. So, I mean, I guess those,
3: all, all of those are
2: really influenced by Islam.
3: Now you've talked with Malik and Good Medina. You can't get fuck with well like what Malik is
1: in Medina. I'm not going to talk about hop when I who's on the call. <laughs> 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 All right, I'll name mine then for you, brother. Uh, so again. so uh, for me, I agree with you with Jay-Z being number one from an influential standpoint. Um, for me, too, personally, uh, you have to put uh, Q-Tip on there because Q-Tip is inscribed with Tribe, and I think Q-Tip is such a musical genius, and of course he's Muslim as well. And that includes five, so Q-Tip plus five. I'll just put Tribe. Three, you ha- again, same thing with Ghostface. I think Ghostface is so amazing in his rap and his storytelling that I have to put him on my third. Fourth, Rockham, Lyrically, he's a genius. I think you're absolutely correct there. He's just so amazing and impactful. And then five, I have to put Yasin Bey. I think Mo's Def is so influential in my life in particular, especially with Blackstar, when he was with Talib Kali. It was just amazing. So those are my top five. And no disrespect to, of course, like Big E and Tupac, but for me personally, those are my top five. I'm yeah, I,
3: I, won't, I, won't, I won't comment on those, but I will tell you a story that's kind of related to your um, telling the line question. Uh, just like a couple months before I went to Islam, I went to a concert called Summer Jams with a bunch of my friends. And uh tribe played, and Buster bunch was there. Fuji's was there. Um, type of Phil. And a bunch of other people. And um, there were two Muslims that were with me. And then me, who was like, on the rich some, a bunch like, the homies I grew up with. After the show, we wanted to meet kids. So we, like, went to the front of the stage. And ironically, going Hill was, like, sitting there signing autographs. And my friend, Hameen, was like, Hey, can you ask Jesus to come out here? And she was like, sure, a one moment. She was like, super cool about it. She went back there. She'll be right out. And then he came out, got off of the stage, and hugged us, and like said, salam. And then I asked him a question, because before I was even like Muslim, people tell me, if you can't do music, and it's salam, and, you know, the stuff that you make sure you tell people prefer to say the Shahada. Uh But, you know, I was, being fluent so into music, I was like, dang, can I like be Muslim? And... I love music the way that I do. So that that was my question to tip who I mean and being a kid, you know, nineteen years old, I was super starstruck. And I was like I was like, Hey, how do you do it? How do you reconcile? Kind of your question about whatever, you know, balancing or whatever. And he just said to paraphrase, he was like, I just depend on the forgiveness of Allah. Like he didn't try to justify or make excuses. He was like, you know, everyone makes mistakes and we don't feel Allah overlook our mistakes. But I would attribute that conversation to like one of the most influential in my path uh to to, to formally addressing Islam. So I mean that's the thing, man, that people gotta recognize, you know, in the Muslim community that like you can sit back and critique it for fingers all day long, but how many thousands of thousands of people are touched uh by these women and men that are, are sharing this love in the form of artistic expression. And for a community that talks so much uh, uh, fact, as much as the Muslim community cares about dawah, you know, you got to really wonder who's really doing that. You know, so yeah, you know, try another yeah, Muslim that's Muslim that's a Muslim very Muslim. amazing point.
1: That's a very fair point because I know a lot of people who take in shahada just because they listen to a Tribe Called Quest album, <laughs> or they listen to a Lupe album, or even a Brother Ali album, because he's not just for Muslims. Like, he a lot of non-Muslims listen to Brother Ali as well, and they get into it, and they that's a really good form of dawah, actually. I mean, it's it's just so interesting because it's just a double-edged sword in our community especially because there's some people on the right in terms of you know, as Muslims who are so vehemently against it and then those at the left who are kind of too much into it. And it's just an interesting uh, tug and pull that we, that we deal with. Um, so I want to conclude the episode here and I want to give a special thank you again to both uh, Saad Osama Cannon and hip-hop genius uh, Brother Ali for coming on. Thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you. you.
0: So as you can see from this episode, the dynamic between music and Islam is nuanced. It's not a black and white issue. It can be a means of discovery. It can be a means of self-expression. So, Omar, what was your biggest takeaway on this episode?
1: I mean, Brother Ali, won his rhetoric about his grasp on history in regards to, I mean, Black America, was phenomenal.
0: I mean, he's he's like a historical rogue scholar. The way he's talking about Malcolm X in this way that really contextualizes. I love how he just calls him Malcolm. By yeah, the way. like yeah,
1: like he knows him. Like he knows him, and yeah. it,
0: that's a real figure, and I think that's incredible. Like That is an incredible microcosm of the American Muslim experience. Which
1: we don't really realize, because like, even though we are American Muslims, we're not necessarily having the same experience as our fellow American Muslims. And the other thing was that his own personal story, while he talks about him getting bullied and just going through his childhood like that, that, that to me was interesting, because As a Caucasian, he felt the same perils as his uh, black classmates felt in regards to racism, in a sense. But you can tell that experience has made him such a strong person that he is today.
0: And with Osama Cannon, I think that, first off, his frankness is always refreshing. I think that's why you and him get along really well. He's frank and you have this shared passion, which, again, who would have expected that? So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on everything Osama Cannon share.
1: Well, I love his sense of humor too. I love the fact that he made a lot of things lighthearted. He was a lot easier to talk to and to make things a lot more comfortable for the entire episode, which was amazing. And again, like, I never expected him to answer the top five question. Who would have thought someone of his magnitude answer such a question you hear all the time at like parties or just hangouts to be honest with you and it was that was really cool another thing that i thought was really cool was their relationship and you can tell they have a very strong friendship the love between them uh it's it's something that i hope to have in terms of my friends as well yeah i mean i remember back in that
0: auspicious car ride we were there and you know you just happened to mention brother ali yeah. in passing as just an artist that you love what you didn't mention in the episode and what we didn't hear is that Osama Cannon really considers him his brother. Yeah. He, I wonder if that honorific Brother Ali is actually something that was bestowed by Osama Cannon. So anyways, it sounded like you had a really good time with this episode, Omar, and I think that we learned a lot about the Muslim experience, especially discovering Islam in places that you might not expect. So folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the What's a Scenario podcast. You can find all of Brother Ali's music on iTunes and anywhere else you buy your music. And as we mentioned on our last episode, Celia Osama Cannon was unfortunately diagnosed with ALS, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. For more information about Celia Osama's condition and to send your thoughts, prayers, love, and support, please, please, please visit loveforosamacannon.org. And join us next time when I talk to the founder and members of one of the first Muslim sororities in the country. Muslim women need this, right? You need your voices heard right? You need people to see how amazing and what kind of potential you guys have. Please join our organization. And everybody was like, yeah, you know, everybody was like, oh, yes, we will. Sister Samira. We know you from Epic. Inshallah, we'll work with you. You know, if I tell you I recruited 15 girls and all of them ran away. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Scenario Podcast. Like us on Facebook by searching for What's the Scenario Podcast, and listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. I'm Yaz Qureshi, and it was enchanting to meet you. Mm -hmm. Uncle Usi taught me,
2: you can't teach what you don't know. Can't lead where you don't go. Can't read what you don't sow. Can't fool the people no more. You know me, I'm a globe traveler. Soul ambassador.